You can be seated. Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. Good morning. It is good to see you and be back with you this morning. I told somebody I'll try not to have a spell like I did a few weeks ago, but I tell you what, there's nothing greater than the promise of God's Word, no matter what situation we're in. And I want to thank you so much again for being here. Uh, W.C. Fields, the great actor, was in his hospital bed, and a friend visited him right before his death. And while he was reading his Bible, that person said, what are you doing? As he was thumbing through it quite briskly, he said, I'm looking for loopholes. Now, I want you to think about this for a few moments. Because there's always people looking for loopholes. A lot of times we take God's wrath either flippantly or with a, uh, what I would call a Jonah mentality. And what I mean flippantly is people disregard God unless there's something that they want. And God's not going to punish sin because God loves us all, right? He loves me. But then you have the other side, which I think can be equally as destructive, the Jonah mentality. That you love to use God's wrath as a tool to get your will. What do you mean by that? You see, the book of Jonah tells us that Jonah would not go to Nineveh. Remember the story? And we remember the cute story about he was swallowed by the fish and in the bottom of the deep blue sea. Remember the little cute little song we learned in Sunday school? And then because he was disobedient, the, 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 the whale literally threw him up on the beach and he went and preached to Nineveh. But what happened to the Ninevites? Remember, I remember? They repented. And we always hear that story. Well, Jonah was disobedient, but he was obedient when the whale swallowed him up and he went and preached. But as Paul Harvey used to say, there's the rest of the story. You see, Jonah got mad because they repented. He got mad. He wanted God's wrath to be poured out upon them. He wanted them to be destroyed. And when they weren't, Jonah gets mad, and the Bible says that he ends up an angry man sitting on a hill with a burnt head. And so the rest of the story. You see, there are those who think God's not going to punish sin, and there's those on the other side that we're waiting for that day when God will spite those people that I do not like. Let me tell you something. God's wrath is a serious thing, and regardless of who you are or who you think you are, especially if you're a born-again believer, it should be a tearful eye. And any time we talk about hell and we talk about damnation should not be used flippantly, but with a tearful eye, because let me tell you, people are going there. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. I'm going to read through this passage, then I'm going to go through it uh, verse by verse, if you will, and then I want to give you a few points. 
But I want to talk about what is about to happen. As we have discussed those that are sealed, that are protected during the time of tribulation, it is the, those that God has placed his hand upon who were those who were not condemned eternally. They went through a lot, but they held fast to their faith. And as John is getting a glimpse of heaven, he gets a glimpse after those uh, in chapter 7 where it says, who are those that stood? Though those that were stood that were around the throne as those who were sealed, who had been sealed by the blood of Christ. And in chapter 8, John sees another vision. And he sees something happen that is very extraordinary. And I want you to look at this part as the last seal is open, God's wrath comes down. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels stand before God and seven trumpets that were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Keep that in mind. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there became peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes and lightning and an earthquake. <clears throat> then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. And a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, the name of the star is Wormwood, bitterness. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third day was without light, and also a third of the night. And as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. As if things could not get worse, woe, woe, woe. If we could go back to the first slide, let me give you a sense of what's happening, of what John sees. You see, the final seal is about to be broken. Now we know who breaks the seal. Christ. Because again, in chapter 5, who was alone found worthy to break the seals? Christ. Okay? So, which means, is he who began the work is the one who's bringing it to an end. Jesus has always been and will always be. And he is bringing this to a close. And the Bible says that when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Let me explain to you a little bit. You see, a lot of what we talk about, and this is what I try to encourage as we talk on Wednesdays, is you've got to get into the Old Testament. I know a lot of people say, well, I don't, 
agree with, you know, I don't know. It gets, but let me tell you something. God's word from Genesis to the maps is God's word. You need to get in the Old Testament. Again, as we've been trying to go through on Wednesdays to see through Daniel and Ezekiel and, and some of the up, uh, Jeremiah, we're going through these prophets because they all point to Jesus and they point to his plan and the consummation of, his, of this world. The end of time. And it's important that you understand some of the imagery and see what is happening here. There was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Take into consideration what we have seen through the past few chapters in the book of Revelation is what? Praising and worshiping God. Remember? They're around the throne. They're bowing down. They're praising Him. They're singing. There are praises. Then all of a sudden there's silence. Well, why is there silence? Well, Zechariah tells me that before the Lord's day... The great day of the Lord, there will be silence before him. Habakkuk says, be silent before the Lord. You see, what this is, in plain terms, this is the calm before the storm. This is the calm before the storm. Have any of you ever seen the oceans of the Caribbean? Okay. If you've never been, let me explain something to you. I've never been either. And my wife and I, my boys got my wife and I on our 25th anniversary a gift to go on a cruise. Now, that was a unique experience within itself, and I loved it. But what I will tell you is I've never seen such emerald and, and blue water in my life. It's beautiful. And we were able to go on this excursion to a little island called Half Moon Cay. It is actually owned by Carnival, where they send you out there for eight hours. You have a barbecue. You spend the day on the beach. And, and it's all beautiful and cool, and we relax in the sunshine. However, the day that we go, it's not a great day. And we go on one of the boats, and they, we get on a little excursion of this little boat, and we go to the island. We were there for about an hour. And I'm standing, Timmy's got a video of me standing in this water, and it's so crystal clear in the shell, and you can see the fish swim up to you, you know, and it's kind of nervous, but, you know, it's, it's cool, and, and I'm walking around, this is beautiful, but all of a sudden behind me you see these ominous clouds. We didn't know that a tropical storm was coming. It got bad in a hurry. That it got so bad, it was so eerily quiet and calm. Then within an hour, all destruction came. They began to evacuate the island. We were the first ship off the island, and we get out there with 40 knot winds, just this quick, bouncing everywhere. We get up to the ship. They were able to get half of the ship or half the ferry off and they say we got to cut and we got to go back out to sea the boat can't stay in place now we're panicking and I'm crying out to God God I don't understand you've called me into ministry soon I'll be going to another church and here I am going down in the Caribbean <laughs> and I'm telling you if you've never been on the ocean in this kind of and I'm not exaggerating she can show you videos it was so bad that people are sitting beside us holding on to me they don't know me from Adam's house cat they grab a hold of me. I'm sitting there, and you can hear people going, say, You're amazing how people pray when they're in trouble. And all of a sudden, we get up to the boat, and we're able, and the captain comes on. He says, we're evacuating everybody, and we're headed to sea. There's a storm coming, people. And the thing that reminded me is the calm before the storm. The moment of reflection and time before the chaos begins. I could not help but think of that as I read this text. There's silence. And then I saw seven angels stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. 
I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Now, in this context of Scripture, and that's another thing that we've been studying on Wednesday, it's context. Context is everything. And we talk about on Wednesdays how a lot of verses that we know and we try to apply to our lives is ripped out of context. Now, this being said, since these are the seven angels who stand before God, we have to make mention that these are special angels. Now, the book of Tobit and Enoch, which are apocryphal books, will attempt to name these angels. I will not do that. But what we do know is these are seven angels, probably archangels, that minister to the throne of God. They're before him. And seven trumpets were given to them. We actually call these trumpets what's called shofar. It's a ram's horn. And I'm going to tell you why this is so interesting with this. Because the trumpets, and I named this, and then the sound of the trumpets, when the sound of the shofar went off, it's not a good thing. And you have to appreciate the imagery of the Old Testament here. They're given seven shofars. And they are to blow, according to the Bible, that the shofar is blown on several occasions. Number one, to grab the attention or call to the attention of the people. Number two, according to the book of Joshua, it signals destruction. So now there's a great pronouncement fixing to be made. And they were given to these angels seven trumpets. Number seven, of course, we talk about completion. It's a complete number. Seven, twelve, it's a complete number. Fullness, complete. Given seven trumpets. And then another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. This is beautiful. You say, where is this coming from? But this is, this is beautiful imagery here. Listen. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Now, if you've known anything about it, you know, according to the writers of the Bible, there's an earthly tabernacle and there's a heavenly tabernacle. Now, the earthly tabernacle and the way it was set up, at the Day of Atonement, okay, Aaron was instructed to take the coals off the altar, put incense on them. As he went before the mercy seat, a cloud rose. Okay, not only did that cloud rise to protect him from the presence of God, okay, but also Leviticus tells us that that cloud was, was, was a, a mediation for the people. It was him standing in, it was the prayers that were offered up. And let me tell you why this is so beautiful. Listen, as this, as this angel has this censer with the incense that is rising up, you see, the Bible tells me that Hezekiah, when he reinstituted Passover, that the priest and the people prayed and the incense that went up to him was pleasing. Now listen, this is very key. It's not that they could hold to the strict observations of Passover because they couldn't. But God saw the pureness of their heart. This is critical. He saw the pureness of their heart. So what does this text mean? And with the smoke and the incense together with God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. Let me tell you something. In context of Scripture, all those people that have cried out, God, when is justice going to be served? God hears them. Listen. Your prayers you may think go unanswered or unheard. You may think that God is not listening to what you have to say. You might think, God, when is your justice going to come for all this injustice? You will see earlier when we were talking about the prayers of the martyrs, remember? The prayers of the martyrs, God, when is my time coming? When are you going to pay for all this that we have done and gone through? 
The Bible tells me that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And his timing and my timing are opposite. And I want you to understand that he's not just talking about martyrs here. He's talking about all God's people who are in sincere heart. It is pleasing. It is aroma unto God in which he will say, my justice will be served. This is very important, people. I can tell you throughout time, there's a lot of prayers that went up from a lot of people who left this earth. There are a lot of missionaries who have died bringing the word of God. There are a lot of people that are dying unjustly right now. It does not go unattentive to God's eyes. If God knows every sparrow that falls, he knows every hair on your head. You know what? I didn't say that. The word of God does. He knows your name. He hears. And let me tell you what is happening here. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing, and lightning, and an earthquake. You know what? The mighty hand and power of God is now here. You see his hand come upon, where you see the right lightning, the flash of the lightning, the roar of the thunder, signifying the great mighty hand of God. You serve a God who is greater than all things. Not even Russia or Ukraine can do anything about it. Daniel tells me that I am the one who raises kingdoms up. I am the one who sets kings in their places. He tells Job, I am the one who causes the sea to come this far and retract. I am the one. Please understand, people, you don't serve a God who is in a closet. You serve a God who is in charge of the whole universe. And that's something to worship, people. He's got this. God hears the prayers of a righteous man. He knows, and I want you to think about this. The sincere prayers of a righteous man, of a pure heart, like in the days of Hezekiah. The Bible tells me in the book of Cornelius, he heard the prayers of Cornelius. They were presented to him as an offering pleasing to the presence of God. And what did God do? He sends Peter to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God will provide. It's not about an act. It's about sincerity of heart. All the injustice that has been placed upon this earth, Habakkuk cried out many years ago, How long, O Lord, will you look upon this injustice? How long will you wait till you do something about it? The Bible tells me that God's answered him and said, I'll do something about it right now. I'm going to send the Chaldeans to punish my people. And of course, Habakkuk didn't like the answer to that. You see, that's the problem we run into. A lot of times when we ask God things, we don't like the reply. But God promised His justice would be served. Then look at what the text says. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. The trumpet of the Lord is a great and terrible thing. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hell with fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to earth. Then a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. 
the cleansing wrath of fire. I remember several years ago, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, caught on fire. And I remember a lot of that that was so beautiful was scorched earth, barren. You see, fire consumes. Fire destroys. Fire purifies. And this angel pours out the wrath of fire. Do you see this? A third of the living of the trees, a third of the grass. All of this nature has been affected by God. Now I want you to look at something. This is very, this is very important to this. The first four woes deal with nature first and man indirectly. But what is very eerie about this, and I want to get ahead of myself, is compare it to the wrath and the plagues of Egypt. This is why the Old Testament is so beautiful, people. This is why it's so beautiful. Look what it says. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned to blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. A third of the rivers on the, wa of the a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, the name of the star is wormwood, and a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Then a fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so the third of them turned dark. Now I want you to think about it. He attacks the elements of the earth and then the luminaries. Okay. Now, why is this important? You see, this is important because I want you to go back with me for a few moments to the plagues of Egypt. Now, see, if you read in the New Old Testament, you'll find that Egypt worshipped many gods. They were a polytheistic society. And what had happened, listen, this is very eerie. They worshipped the Nile. But what did God do? He turned the Nile into blood. They worship bugs, or we know them as scarabs. But then God responded with a plague of locusts and lice. Everything that they worshipped, God countered to show I am the one worthy of all worship. Now this is where it gets critical, okay? You see, he attacks the nature of the earth. Why? Because we're still a people that love creation more than we do creator. Well, what do you mean? If you have your Bibles, turn with me briefly to the book of Romans. Now, we went through this book a while. But I want, you to, I want to try to make the connection here. Do you see how serious the wrath of God is? Romans 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. Now listen. How am I going to make this connection? For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, 
being understood through what he has made. As a result, listen, you are without excuse. People say, well, what about the heathen? The heathen go to hell, people. There is nobody with excuse. God has shown you through his divine attributes this creation of this world that is so beautiful that the trees that bloom and blossom so beautifully, if you go down the road and you see the Bartlett pears, the, the, the peach trees, the apple trees, or whatever may be blooming, you see God's beauty revealed in those things. You have to know that there's a God. And for those that say, well, I don't know, you have no excuse because nature is enough to show you there's a God. Nature can't save you, but it can condemn you. Nobody has an excuse. Now listen, he goes further. Listen. For though they knew God, listen, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over to desires of their hearts or to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is to be praised forever. Men love themselves. Men love the things of the world more than God who created them. And what you see is still a continual belief that God was created for my pleasure. I wasn't created for His. For men still worship things. They worship the earth. And they forget to worship Him who created it. And great is his wrath. You see the world that we live in that is twisted. You cannot watch a commercial without seeing sexual pervertedness. <coughs> Something that would be despicable. I can remember when I was a child. And some of you remember this. You wouldn't even hear people say certain words on TV. I can remember as a child that all the things in Greer shut down at 12 o'clock because that was church day. Nothing was open on Sundays. See, as the world has progressed, sin has progressed. And the worship of self and worldly things has corrupted and continues to corrupt man. So God's going to say, you worship this, I'll show you who's worthy of worship. And it's coming. And I'm going to tell you something. I want you to understand this. And I want to give you three points to this that I need you to write down and understand. Number one, from what we have read, this is reality, people. Now, a lot of people will say, well, what's going on in Russia? I have to believe that some of these things that are about to happen has got to be a nuclear bomb. The Bible does not say that. I don't know what God instrument... God instrument gods we use. We fail to remember that God doesn't need us. We think that God has to use things that we're familiar with. He don't. 
He doesn't need us. He uses us. But I want you to look at what's happening here. As His wrath is poured out, the reality is that a third of this world is going to be destroyed by fire. Something's going to happen to the seas where animals and fish die. The waters will return bitter. Have you ever thought about this? How many of you have ever drank lukewarm water and you spit it out? That's another story for another day. But think of drinking water that kills. Do you realize how precious water is, people? All I do is see commercials on TV about how we need to invest in gold with the stock market. We need to invest in silver. We need to invest in all these jewels. Let me tell you something. Those precious jewels nor that gold won't buy you anything if this world needs water. We fail to realize that. We fail to. You think these gases for price is high? I want you to look at the price for sin. We have got to understand that God does not need us. And the Bible tells me that when these, this seal is broken and these things are poured out upon the earth, now again, we haven't got to man. We've got to man indirectly because of what will happen through nature. Have you thought about that? You see, this is the thing. When the Hebrews were going through the plagues with the Egyptians, there's one part of that plague that shakes me. Well, there's a lot of it that shake me, but the final one. You see, the Bible tells me that God's people were to remain faithful and they to remember him and be obedient to him too. You see, what did they, were they told? To take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And that when death came, listen, it would pass over. See the term? That's Passover. That death would pass over. But it was only by blood that the Passover would happen. So what happened? The firstborn died. But it was applicable to all. Understand this. That as God's people in the midst of tribulation, we're to be totally dependent on him. Because there are going to be some things we go through that we're going to be affected by as well. But who do you keep your faith in? Who do you stand in? I don't think a lot of times we understand how powerful God is. You see, there have been people that argued with me before about the power of animals. See, the world will tell you, especially atheists or materialists, will tell you that the survival of the fittest is what matters. The survival of the fittest. But that's evolution. The survival of the fittest. Oh, this is contrary to this. And let me tell you why. I don't know if you remember, but about 15, 20 years ago, there was a massive tsunami that hit the Indonesian coast. Now, let me tell you something about this. Before this tsunami hits, animals go nuts. Elephants start running up the mountains, and people are going, what in the world is happening? All these animals are just taking flight. This is a documented Fact. Before this tsunami hit, the animals took flight and took to high ground. Animals in zoos are going nuts. But yet when that tsunami hit, a lot of animals were saved and people died. 
gifts of survival and finish didn't quite work out well that one did it and it's a terrible day but even God has given them animals to sense to know he's worthy they know they know the same God that can make the rocks cry out do you not think he's got all this faithfulness it's going to be a reality people are going to die people are going to feel the wrath of God that is the reality God's word is final I heard a man say well I'm telling you right now I that's just a story invented by men and I'm not trying to give an apologetics class 101 but let me tell you why I believe it's reality of all the works of antiquity we have the most that we have of any secular author is the book is books from Homer if you know anything about Greek uh, literature, Homer, there's probably 800 copies of Homer's work. There's over 5,000 of the Word of God. You know why? Because the Bible tells me that God's Word will not come back void. This is reality, people. God's justice will be served. And the prayers for all those who have cried for righteousness will be answered. Number one, it's a reality. Number two, it's a finality. I want you to think about this for a few moments. God is a righteous judge. And I've used this example before, but I want to use it again to try to illustrate this point. Now, if I was accused of murder, and I went before a judge... I don't know why I'm using this because my son's an attorney. I, maybe that's not the right way to think. But anyway, I, if I was accused of murder, and he wouldn't defend me, by the way, so there you go. And the judge would stand before me and says, what do you have to say for yourself? Oops. I made a mistake. I murdered five people, but judge, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Now, if he was to say, well, you know what, Chad, I believe you. Go home. He'd be a bad judge, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? As a matter of fact, if that was to happen in real life, how many of you would be out crying? So why should we think God's any different? He is a righteous judge who is worthy to punish sin. And his judgment is rendered and it's done. You see, men have known throughout the time that there's something greater than that that's around them, and it's God. Throughout creation, throughout time, everything points to our Creator. And everything in the Word of God points to Jesus Christ. We have no excuse. And God's Word's final. And let me tell you something. There is no... There is no Medium place, there's no holding tank. Let me assure you this. If you're in Christ, you're in his presence. If you're not, you're in hell. And that that we should teach with a tearful eye because it is reality and it's the finality. But the third point I want to spend a few moments on, brothers and sisters, please listen to me. They must be an urgency. I have really been pressing this, that one of the things that really gets upon my heart is if you call yourself a Christian, then you need to be sharing the Word of God. There's no negotiation. If you see what is about to happen, I want you to understand 
that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. The Bible tells me that it's not his for all to perish, but to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But some still do. Most still do. Why do they perish? Because men run from their sin. Or I'm sorry, they run from God in their sin. They don't run to him. The way that men is wired, are wired, is they run from God. They don't run toward him. So what do men need? They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to me. This is the urgency, people, that people need the gospel. How will they hear, the Bible says? How will they know without a preacher? They need to hear the gospel. Because understand, in the world that we live in, the world that loves itself more than it loves God, the world that loves things, a materialistic world, a a world that loves vanity, that loves sexual perversion, because all of their pleasure is built up in serving themselves. So they're not going to change it. You do not have the power to change your lust. You do not have the power to change your greed. You don't have the power to change your theft of heart. You don't have the power to change that attitude of coveting. You don't have the power to resurrect a thing. Christ does. And that's the urgency. Not everybody will be saved. But it is our job as born-again believers to tell people there is no greater hope than that which is found in Jesus. And understand this, that God changes this. Listen to me. He changes this before He changes this. A lot of people are good people. Or do good things. No, I'm going to back up. There is no good people. People do good things. But those good things don't measure up. You see, the Bible tells me that as we've been reading and these seals are broken, God's going to punish the wicked. They are those who have suppressed the truth of righteousness. He is going to punish them. But let me tell you something. The wrath that was due us was poured upon His Son, Jesus Christ, and is available to all who believe. Think about this real quick. I say this many times because I want to really focus on the urgency. I want you to ask yourself, are you a stepping stone for Christ or are you a stumbling block? Are you a stepping stone for Jesus Christ or are you a stumbling block? Well, I'm going to share you the difference real quick and then we'll close. And again, we haven't even got to the woes of the people. Are you a stepping stone or are you a stumbling block? Remember, there are two reasons why people don't become Christians. There's number one, they say they had never seen one. Number two, they say they have. If I were to ask those people that hang around you, whether it be your family or whether it be those co-workers, would they say that you reflect Jesus Christ? 
You know, I've often made this statement. All I've got to do to find out about your life is ask three questions. Number one, talk to your children. Number two, ask to see answers, which I don't do that. Or number three, talk to your friends, and I'll tell you anything you want to know about you. Number one, finances tell us where our priorities are. Number two, our children will tell us the truth when everybody else won't. Trust me, if you've got a child, they will rat you out in an instant. And number three, our friends have a tendency to see us outside our home life. Are you a stepping stone or are you a stumbling block? Does that mean that we're all going to be perfect and not fail? Absolutely not. But the difference in a stumbling block and a stepping stone is when a stepping stone falls, he rebuilds that stepping stone through the blood of Jesus Christ and says, I messed up, I'm sorry, please forgive me, let's move forward. A stumbling block don't care. You see, what is about to happen as this earth gets progressively worse, things are going to happen because of the sin of man. It is our duty, it is our job as born-again believers to share the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. It's not some missionary who goes to Zambia once a, every seven years. Of course, God's called them there, but let me tell you something. You've heard the saying, all of us have not called to be preachers or teachers, but we all called to be ministers. That is not correct. We're all called to be missionaries. And be missionaries where you live, work, and play. God's wrath is swift. It is final. It is wretched. It is miserable. And people are going to go. They're going to suffer. Guys, people that are dying now before all this breaks loose are going to hell. And how much would you have to hate somebody not to share the love of Jesus Christ with them? Think about that. Are you a stepping stone? Or are you a stumbling block? Brothers and sisters, as we close this out, the thing that's been on my mind is this. Those that are pure in Christ, wait. It's going to be all right. He's got this. You've been waiting for God's timing. It's very clear. There's coming a time. Even those that have suffered for Jesus Christ, that have been martyred, that will be martyred during this time, when he said a little early, how long do we have to wait? He says right there, Christ does. Now's the time. My vengeance will be served. Your prayers, the prayer of a righteous man, all you believers that have struggled and wondered about what's going on, hang tight. God's faithful in his promises. And he will hear you. But also please listen to this. That God's wrath is being revealed and will be revealed against all unrighteousness and those who suppress the truth. But as long as we're here on earth, we're to be fighting the good fight. Because I can tell you this, and I've said this when we planted the Josiah's Way up in Pennsylvania. My, my mantra was this. If one person, if one person is touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is worth it all. Because I want you to understand this, that one less person in hell is a big thing, people. There's a reality. There's a finality. And there's an urgency. And I pray today, people, that as we leave this place, that we leave this place as a representation of Jesus being stepping stones because a great and terrible day is coming. 
that as I heard and I often say that when you leave this world, that every one of your tombstones should have this. This person died a cross-eyed rock and roll Christian. That their eyes were on the cross, their foot was on the rock, and by the grace of God, their name's on the roll. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for all that you've given us. And God, we pray today that, Lord, you would move in a mighty way. Lord, if there's one that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you convict their heart before it's eternally too late. God, we know as time lingers, we're going to die. And Lord, there is no other way than through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray today that you touch hearts. And God, one day we have an urgency. Or is today ought to be the day that we get out and share the good news of your Son. That God, not everybody's going to be saved, but it's not us to, up to us to save them. It's up to us to share the good news. God, may you be glorified in all things. Lord, let our light shine before men. God, the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light. But God, I honestly believe that if we live light, we show light, we share light, you can and will save. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we praise your name. And all God's people said, Amen. stand and worship with us.